Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. And this is a podcast for any feminist who feels overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do and still worries that they are not doing enough. 2020. <laughs> we started this podcast because we were like, 2020 is going to be a shit show. Little did we know. Yeah. Full transparency. We had no idea how much or what kind of a shit show it would be. I was thinking we might have another woman presidential candidate and we might be like seeing a lot of misogynist bullshit in the news. Like I right. thought maybe that's something that would happen. Remember when that was like your worst case scenario? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I, I don't use the phrase worst case scenario because there is always a worst case that I can imagine. Sure. Short of what I think is likely. Mm -hmm. or possible mm -hmm. so no it was that was not my worst case scenario what's happening now politically was absolutely among the worst options that i had in mind yeah the pandemic didn't show up nope no nope. in my idea of what was uh you know nope. likely to be a thing that we would struggle with nope. in 2020 but here we are uh and the, the goal of our podcast was to not fix the problems that we knew we would be confronting of whatever kind they were, but to provide a toolkit of strategies for coping with the bullshit. So here we are at episode 50, and we're nearing the end. Our goal was always to do this until the Monday before election day. Yep. And we're going to stop after that. I don't know what we're going to do afterward. I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. We won't know until after the series of court cases that will inevitably arise in the wake of the election itself. Mm -hmm. But we're going to take this opportunity of episode 50 to review sort of a greatest hits to talk about the overall structure of what we mean by this toolkit of coping strategies, how to use those strategies, how they're different from how most people talk about these things. And, uh, and that's it. There is no third thing. Yeah. You don't that's need three things. Do. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to start out with our one pager user instruction manual for the toolkit? Our three important things? Sure. Okay. So the instructions for using this toolkit are first, Wellness is not a state of mind or a state of being. Wellness is a state of action. It's moving freely through the cycles, through the oscillations of living in a mammalian body. And what this looks like in practice is granting your body opportunities it requires to rest, to work, to connect and be independent, to feel stress and find your way to safety. That's number one, state of action. Second, the cure for burnout is not self-care. Self-care is the fallout shelter you build in your basement because apparently it's your job to protect yourself from nuclear war. No, the cure instead is simply care. It's all of us caring for each other. What this looks like in practice is when you think you need more grit, what you need is help. When you think you need more discipline, you need more kindness. And when you look at others and think they need more grit, what they need is more help. When you think they need more discipline, they need more kindness. That's number two. And three, these two key ideas are part of a larger solution. They're not just ways to survive while we work on a solution. When the needs of our bodies take up as much space and time as they require, and when we each turn toward each other's needs with kindness and compassion, we're already rejecting the forces of white supremacist, heteropatriarchal, wildly exploitative post-industrial capitalism. 
This is good news and bad news. It means the system has a vested interest in preventing you from doing either of these things. Mm-hmm. It will try. It'll try to steal your body's freedom to rest and uh, the freedom to love, the, the feeling of safety. It, uh, the system's going to try to block you from turning toward other people's experiences with kindness and compassion. And a lot of what we're going to talk about is how oppressive systems sneak into our lives, and especially into our ability to practice care, and what we can do to eradicate it. So wellness is a state of action. The cure for burnout isn't self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. And when we embrace all those things, we're not taking a break from fixing the world. We are already fixing the world. And we're going to add that to some basic approach of public health. Which is where we have specific episodes on these tools for how to use the other tools. One of them, one of my favorites is social support theory, which says that there are four types of social support. There's instrumental support. You're hungry and so I give you a fruit roll-up. There's informational support. You are hungry so I tell you where the fruit roll-ups are. There's emotional support. You're hungry and I say, oh, that must be so hard. Which is... Less trivial than I just made it sound. It's extremely yeah. important. It's probably yeah. the most important of four types. And yeah. the last one is appraisal support, where you tell me you're hungry and I explain the personal barriers you have between you and the food that will help you, mm-hmm. which is a type of social support that you use extremely sparingly and only under specific conditions where a person is willing and able to accept that appraisal from you. Mm-hmm. So we take these three ground rules, we apply evidence-based public health strategies, and there are some other, some other what's? Mm, basic strategies. Some other sort of structures that they're not we, They're not public health interventions so much as social support theory stages of change. They're, yeah, those are literally in my public health theory textbooks. Yeah, they're, they're processes of health that we have named in the book and we keep going back to. And when you understand them, it helps you to understand how to use the rest of the tools. Like, for example, you have to separate dealing with your stress from dealing with your stress or the solution to the problems that are activating stress in your body very rarely have anything to do with the solutions to the stress itself that has been activated in your body. And you need to do both things, deal with the stress or and deal with the stress itself. Um, By the way, I am teaching a course on the book this semester. Actually, it's on the book and the musical things you can do to use the strategies we talk about in the book. So it's like music for stress management. Anyway, at the end of our lecture on our discussion on each chapter, we end with one important thing. And every student says one important thing they took out of the chapter and separate the stress from the stressor was like three people's important thing. So it's important. Yeah. There's also FOOP, which is an emotion that comes from the monitor. So those are two separate episodes. One's on the monitor, which is the little critter in your brain that notices the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And we offer strategies for dealing with it. So when you know, oh, there's a thing in my brain that makes me frustrated, that makes me ragey when I can't get to the place I want to go, that can push me into a pit of despair when I'm working really hard and can't get to the place I want to go. Understanding the mechanism itself helps you to use the tools in an effective way. Mm -hmm. And FOOP is part of the emotional experience of dealing with your monitor. FOOP was also one of the most important things, which I have 17 students in my class and two of them are men. And FOOP was, uh, was was one important thing that came from one of the men, which I was glad for because FOOP is such like an extreme emotional response. And for him to identify, you know, 
and recognize an extreme emotional response, that's uh, that means that he's not holding on to masculine stereotypes of inability to recognize feelings. I was glad about that. Yeah, the shorthand definition of FOOP is it's oscillating between frustrated rage, I'm gonna get this done, I don't care what you throw at me, and helpless despair, I can do it, nothing I do is working. Yeah. Which is an experience everyone has had that we know, mm -hmm. and we never saw a name for, so we made one up, and that name is FOOP. FOOP. Like, poop with an F. FOOP. And then the last basic mechanism is the owl and the cheese. There's an episode about it, but basically what it means is that we do better when we have something positive to move toward than when we're just trying to escape something negative. When we recognize that we need something positive to move toward, that will help us use the tools that we're about to talk about in the most effective possible way. And whenever Rich, my husband, hears us talking about our basic rules, wellness is a state of action, we're all supposed to turn toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. He says it's not about leaning in and it's not about leaning out. It's leaning on mm -hmm. and lifting up. Nice. So those are the basic ground rules. That's like our operating manual. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the tools and we divide the tools themselves into three categories. The first set of tools are the ones that eliminate the causes of the damage itself. That stuff is mostly beyond the scope of the podcast, though we have some things. Mm -hmm. um, mostly that's the activism. That's helping people register to vote and voting itself. It's advocating for changes in policies and practices. It's addressing difficulties in the government and in your workplace and in your home. It's having all those difficult conversations. It's attending the rallies and getting arrested. It is... Wearing a mask, when we do these things, we're helping to eliminate the actual causes of the pain that we're talking about. The pain that all of us are walking around in all the time, the patriarchy, white supremacy, and rapidly exploitative late capitalism thrust a knife in your back every day when you wake up. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things that you have to do in order to deal with that is get rid of the knife. So though that's the first set of tools, and mostly we don't talk about those. We do a little bit. When we talk about how to address people in your life who are difficult, that is about dealing with the knife in your back. Mm -hmm. Turning to someone and saying, when you say and do these things, you're stabbing a knife in my back. Being able to do that in a way that actually helps them to pull the knife out. Mm -hmm. That's actually dealing with the problem. Yeah. Naming the bikini industrial complex, recognizing like you wake up every morning and a $100 billion industry stabs a knife in your back to make it impossible for you to be comfortable in the body that you have. Naming that is dealing with the thing that is causing the stress. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of things that we do. But the second category is where most of our meat is. And the second category is healing the wound the tools that heal the wound, they undo the damage to your body and your soul and your heart and your brain that happens as a result of the, all the shitty things in the world. That's your bubble of love. The bubble of love episode is about the ways connection nourishes and heals us. It is all those strategies for completing the stress response cycle. Separating the stressor from the stress itself is necessary. Completing the stress cycle itself is healing the damage that got done by the stress. Engaging with your something larger. So this is a sense of purpose and meaning that it is worth it 
to engage in the struggles that you are engaging in. That heals us mm -hmm. when we can recognize that our struggle is part of something larger. Being kind to, <laughs> this might be like this, the most common thing, being kind to the mad woman and recognizing that all of us have an abyss in our souls. One of our long-term injuries is this abyss that grew inside us as we gradually recognize that who we are is not who the world expects us to be. This chasm in our souls between who we truly are and who the world wants and expects us to be. And the mad woman grew up in this abyss and has a lot of like rage <laughs> that she needs to feel. And it's this difficult mean yet vulnerable part of us and we need to learn to turn toward her with kindness and compassion because that's how we heal the wound that's how we help it to stop hurting bubble of love is part of that too because if we can have people in our lives who will turn toward our mad woman with kindness and compassion it makes it much easier for us to begin practicing that too if somebody else can be okay somebody who we really love and trust can be kind to the worst part of us, like the the part of us that just beats the crap out of ourselves, it makes it so much easier for us to be kind so that the mad woman puts down the whip. But on the other side of that, in the midst of a pandemic and we're all locked into our houses, there is the question of too much connection from the same people for a very long amount of time. <laughs> and managing that is also a separate skill. Right. Because so stress is a cycle that you, if with a beat, like all of our body cycles, sleep is a cycle. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. Digestion is a cycle. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. You have to go all the way through it. And we are built to oscillate through the cycle from sleep into activity, back to rest, back to activity. We're intended to go into stress and back to relaxation, into stress and back to relaxation. So when there's a thing called a lockdown, that tells you it is preventing <laughs> oscillation. Yeah, it's a barrier between you and your freedom to oscillate, in this case, through the cycle of connection back to autonomy, back to connection, back to autonomy. We are not built to be entirely alone. We are not built to be connected all the time with others. We're built to oscillate into and out of it. And precisely how much connection is enough for you versus other people, people vary tremendously, but getting the right balance of connection is part of how you heal the wounds that are inflicted on you by the world. Other tools, food. I know it sounds, you're like, no, it's like saying sleep. Sleep is an <laughs> essential thing that heals the wounds. And you're like, I know, but Amelia and I have lost count of the number of people who told us they feel guilty for sleeping. And people have the same complicated, ambivalent relationship with food, even though it is just a basic way to nourish your body and sustain your life. Never mind, heal the wounds. So recognizing the ambivalence that we're putting in our mouths when we put food in our mouths helps us to stop re-injuring ourselves and begin to heal the wounds that have been done to us. Around body image, another tool that heals the wounds is the new hotness game, which Amelia wrote a song about mm -hmm. in the new hotness episode, mm -hmm. which is looking in the mirror and whatever you see there, you write down what you see that you like instead of reinforcing all the cultural messages about the things that are broken about your body. Well, the new hotness game is just looking in the mirror and seeing what's there. It's sort of like Embrace Tiger. Where you look in the mirror and you say, this is the new hotness. This is the tiger. This is back to mountain. It's, this is the new hotness. Embrace tiger is, a, is another one of the tools. Being like, hello, universe juice. Hello, struggle. Hello, suffering. Hello, 
cultural messages that tell me I am fundamentally unlovable, hello. I'm good at judging. Right now what I'm going to do is practice not judging. I'm going to practice noticing all this mess. Hey, yo, Olive. <laughs> I'm going to practice noticing this whole big mess of universe juice in my palms, and I'm just going to not judge it. Mm. Yeah, Hello. and the new hotness game is just that specifically related to what you see Body in image. Yeah. yeah. So Embrace Tiger is obviously another one of the tools. And our most recent tool is dream analysis. Yeah. Which is the tool that's been really important for Amelia mm -hmm. and has actually gotten Rich and me talking about our dreams every day, which is oh, very entertaining. Cool. It is. It's a fun game. I like it. Oh, see, my husband does not buy into the idea that he is everything in his dream. He really feels like it's his brain processing what he's been through lately. Well, it is. Yeah. And, and if that's how it works for him, that's fine, too. But, you know, he doesn't do the Jung thing. Well, neither do I. I just talk about how my brain is. For me, it's the hyper-associative hallucination that I find fascinating. Like, right. here's what my brain made out of sure, sure. what happened, out of the tiger yeah. that I experienced today. And more than fascinating, perhaps some um, helpful, educational, informative. Yes. And all of these things are effortful. They require some degree of work and energy, and they're only enjoyable sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they do always leave you feeling better and more whole than you felt before you did it. Yeah. And there are individual differences in what's going to do that. Because stuff that's hard and challenging is often the stuff that's the most beneficial to you. Yeah. So our first set of tools were the ones that were about addressing the knife, getting rid of the knife. Because Is pausing for pleasure a tool too? Or is that later? Oh gosh, yes. Pausing for pleasure is a tool. Is an, is a really powerful evidence-based tool. Gratitude. Doing it the evidence-based way. Not just writing a list of things you're grateful for, but deeply holding in your heart the people who make it possible for you to be the best of who you are and stopping to recognize how you got the things that you are grateful for, like the roof of your head. Don't just be grateful. Like, I'm glad I have a roof over my head. I feel gratitude for that. Think to yourself, like, how is it that I got this roof over my head? Like, where did we get the money to pay for this roof? What sorts of opportunities did I have? What work did I invest in it? Who helped me? That is how you practice gratitude effectively. And it will be transformative and healing of the wounds because it gets you into the habit of noticing the interconnectedness of events and the good things that happen, how they emerge from other good things that happen, also from shitty, not so good things that happen, and uh, changes your brain. It's great. Gratitude. I know. I know. I know. Sounds so bullshit. But it works. And, it, and gratitude is weaponized against women. Like, you should be grateful for what you have. Like, you have the vote. Therefore, you know, you have enough and you should be grateful that you have that much. No, fuck you. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yes. Okay. So the third set of tools. So first set of tools, getting the knife out of your back. Second set of tools, healing the wound. Yeah. And there's 365 wounds for every year that you've been alive. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot. It's a lot. And therefore, the third set of tools is about managing the pain. Yeah. Different numbing strategies that we use to cope because sometimes it is too much. Sometimes it is overwhelming. The reason you feel overwhelmed and exhausting is because there really is just more than you can cope with. And you are not weak for needing to take a break from the struggle. 
Yeah. In fact, like that's like the whole, the whole, like the theme of the show is oscillation into and out of. Sometimes you can like work really hard on fixing the problem and go really deep and healing the wounds. And then sometimes you just need to watch all six seasons of Schitt's Creek in a row. Yeah. And that's part of the toolkit. Yeah, and the only barrier to that particular tool is the guilt that you feel right. because you have disconnected from the problems and, and you should be helping solve the problems right now. Nope. You should be oscillating into solving the problems, out of solving the problems, into being of service to other people, to just being of service to yourself and allowing yourself to feel nice for a hot second. And recognizing that, like, your entire life you have been taught that you are uh, weak and lazy and too needy if you need to rest or take a break yep. or no, cannot tolerate the intensity of the pain that you are in. Mm -hmm. This set of tools is the one where we put the big caveat that it is possible to do this in a dangerous way mm -hmm. if you are numbing instead of feeling all the feels. If you're using maladaptive strategies, which is to say uh, they may work in the short term, but they bring a high risk of unwanted consequences. Yeah. Those are so in the series of uh, numbing episodes, we make sure we're clear that you need to be doing it in a mindful way that does not lead to an increased risk of unwanted consequences. Because if we look at the um, at the metaphor you're using about, you know, stabbing the wound and then healing the wound and in the process of healing, there's a lot of pain. So you're just managing the pain. If you actually have a literal physical stab wound and you pull the knife out and then you just take narcotics to manage the pain and you never do anything to help the wound heal, that's, um, yeah, you're going to miss out. You're going to end up with an infection. Yeah. You're going to continue bleeding to death. Yeah. Because what you need is some pressure on the wound. Yeah. Right. And it, and it hurts, but it's part of the healing. Yeah. The thing about healing that they do not say, I know... I got really sick a while ago of, and I mean that in a metaphorical sense, I did not get really sick, but I got very <laughs> frustrated with the world bringing the, the, like, let us all heal the wounds of the universe. <laughs> let us experience peace and stop being in an intense, uncomfortable, emotional state. There is no experience of healing that doesn't hurt like a motherfucker. If you break your leg, there is no time between the moment your leg breaks and the time that it heals that it does not hurt more than it did before you broke it. Healing hurts. Same for feelings. Healing hurts. You come to a place where through the healing, you grow stronger, you grow mighty, and you have to go through it. So no wonder people are tempted just to manage the pain and avoid the part that's about healing. Of, of course, of course. I want to do that. <laughs> Especially because we don't tell people that it's going to hurt. Right. We say healing is a beautiful, peaceful, it's so, spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah you're going to feel so great. Like, no, it's going to suck. There's going to be like, meditation involves a lot of crying. Except <laughs> it is experience. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Embrace tiger. It is. Yeah. In, Return to mountain. In the end, it's better. Which brings us to the meta tool and the meta rule, which is the thing that ends up being the answer every single every, goddamn time. Every episode. And it's not like we wanted this to be the message of the podcast. No. But it or the book. It just it just kept turning out to be that the answer is turning toward the difficult, uncomfortable feelings with kindness and compassion. I wished 
I wish that was just a thing to say and there wasn't so much like research and evidence demonstrating unarguably that this is an excellent intervention to make yourself feel better in the long term. And I, we just had to reread the book. Amelia's teaching this class and I'm preparing for some things. So I reread the book. And when we get to the Mad Woman chapter, we use this phrase that we don't tend to use in real life, but I actually think it's important. We use the phrase observational distance. Mm. You need to be able to take a step back. And if you struggle to experience kindness and compassion toward your difficult feelings, that's normal. You have been taught to hate and avoid and be afraid of those difficult feelings. So if you can't get to kindness and compassion, try just being neutral toward it. You create observational distance between you and the uncomfortable feeling. You just watch it. Mindfulness teachers often talk about uh, watching your own internal experience like you're watching a forest creature coming out into a patch of sunlight and you just you just sit quietly and don't disturb it i uh, find it more useful to have the analogy of it's like sitting in the median strip of a (laughs) six-lane interstate highway yeah you just sit there and you you just notice you just notice all the things that are happening it's 15 fire hoses all spraying simultaneously in different directions you step out of the stream and you just notice What's happening? Those are those are metaphors I find much more relevant to my internal experience. That's actually the first thing I teach in my in my burnout class, but also in my music one on one class. Like the first day I read the syllabus to the students and the second day I teach them non judgment that the thing they have to do when they're listening to music is recognize that moment when their brain rejects what they're hearing because some evolutionary part of themselves is has identified this music as something not safe, unfamiliar or foreign or aggressive. or. And somehow... we do have an episode about unfamiliarity. Yeah. And so the first thing I teach them, in order for them to be able to learn anything objective about music, that you need to observe what your brain has decided subconsciously before you're even aware. You need to take a look at that. Let yourself experience that judgment. I'm not asking anyone to change their judgments. But you're not going to be able to be objective and say, here's the tempo, here's the meter, here's the pitch, unless you've recognized that your brain has prepared you to have a negative or positive assessment. So aim for kindness and compassion. Aim for kindness and compassion, but at least at the bare minimum, just recognize judgment when it happens. You can be like, oh. Go for non-judgment. Go for neutral. Yeah. Oh, hey, that was judgment. And now I'm going to keep listening. And then uh, a final meta tool meta message turns out to be if you want to make a difference in the world if you want to help take the knife out of everybody's back step one is heal your own shit yeah heal the knife wound in your own back Brene brown in her talk about vulnerability talks about how you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else which is the thing we hear a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, but she shows a great example of it where she's the parent of a 13-year-old girl, and that 13-year-old girl comes home from school and says that nobody would sit with her at lunch. If Brene, as the parent, does not love the 13-year-old girl in her who could not find anybody to sit with at lunch, she's going to react to the daughter's story, giving her all the self-critical, blaming advice that 
she felt herself when she was 13 years old. Like if you only dressed right, if you only did your hair the way you're supposed to, if only you would smile more, you would do the thing. And 13 year olds should not be giving other 13 year olds life advice. Yeah. You need, you need to be a grown up. And the way to be a grown up when you're having that conversation with someone you love is to have already turned toward your internal 13 year old with kindness and compassion as your best self, giving her the love, the holding, the safety, the role modeling of patience that it requires to survive being a 13 year old girl, which is mm -hmm. just like awful every day. <laughs> yeah. You have to heal your own shit so that when people bring their shit to you, you don't react against them the way you react against those same messages inside yourself. I use the example of being a sex educator. If people tell me their stories, their sexuality stories, and they often have a whole lot of shame around those stories. And if I, if they tell me I like to do X, Y, Z, and my reaction is, Ugh! <laughs> like I have just reinforced for them that yeah. yes, the thing that they like, that Shame they feel correct. ashamed yeah. about, that that is that is true. So my training has required that I be exposed to all kinds of things so that when people present me with stuff, I can stay neutral. Even if they say something that I too like, I stay neutral because it's not about me because my shit is healed. And the good thing is that that skill, that just being exposed to enough things that you're like, okay, now I'm not going to react strongly every time that I'm exposed to this thing again. That works for more things than just kinks. Yeah. It works a lot for body image. It works a lot for body image. It works for the message around rest because we're supposed to oscillate into rest and back into effort. The more you expose yourself to that message, the more you witness other people practicing rest, mm -hmm. the easier it is to accept that that is normal and healthy and you are not lazy and capitalism has been lying to you and treating you like a machine. Yeah. And you're not. You're an organic critter. And that's inconvenient in terms of accomplishing things over the course of 24 hours. But being a hominid's a bitch, but it's the only family you've got. <laughs> Get it? Hominid? Family? That's a science joke, children. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, you turn toward your difficult feelings with kind of compassion. Heal your own shit. These things are, are learnable skills. Yeah. They're, you, you just have to practice them. And not beat yourself up when you... Oh, yeah. Fail to do it because you spent decades like learning gonna, the other patterns. Oh, yeah. yeah, failure is part of the process. And finally, out of our like greatest hits, the things that have turned out to be the most important tools, the most important strategies for using these tools, is that the cure for burnout is not self care. It cannot be. The whole thing about burnout is you are burnt out. You don't have anything <laughs> left to give. So you're supposed to, in that state, be able to turn toward your own difficult feelings with kindness, compassion, and care for yourself and get rest? No. no. It has to be. It must and can only begin with all of us caring for each other. It does not work to say, make sure you get eight hours of sleep. If you live in a household where everyone, including you, expects that you're going to be the one who's up in the middle of the night if anybody needs care, it requires everybody in your household agreeing that your eight hours of sleep matters and they're going to build a wall between the world and your sleep so that you can stay in a place. So it can't be just you caring for yourself. The first step is to be surrounded by the bubble of love of people who prioritize your well-being at least as much as you do. So, so I feel like having gone through, we have the 
instruction manual. We have a series of tools in three different sort of segments in the toolbox. We have motivation for why it matters that people use the tool. It matters because people matter. Your life matters to us. We want you to be well. We can't change the world by ourselves. We need you to help us. Yeah. And you can only do that if you are not falling apart at the seams. Yeah, we're being stabbed too. You're being stabbed. We're being stabbed. And because we're not all capable of pulling out all the knives by ourselves, we need to help each other make that easy so we can also reduce the stabbing that happens and increase the healing that happens and give people permission to numb so that the process is not unbearable. The process of healing should not cause more injury. Right. So how we're going to conclude this 50th episode of the podcast as we approach indeed the end of the podcast, we have a special treat. Listeners are familiar with the theme song ding 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 ding. That's actually a song that Amelia wrote uh, while we were writing the book. And we've never done it on the podcast, so you've never heard the words. Yeah. And uh, let's do it. Oh, can, I'm going to go get my good ukulele for this. Oh, my yeah, good for sure. ukulele's downstairs. So hold on one second. I'll be right back. Waiting for Amelia to get the ukulele. Waiting for the ukulele. Waiting for Amelia's ukulele. I think... Was that her? Is she back upstairs? It sounds like she's. That sounds like a case opening to me. Boing. Okie dokie. Okay. See how nice that sounds? It's so much better. For this, the 50th episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. If any of this was written, it was written by us. I'm Emily Nagoski. And Amelia Nagoski. Music by, of course, Amelia. If anything is edited, it's edited by my marital euphemism. You can find us on the social medias at FSP2020. And the website is feministsurvivalproject.com. .net? .com. Damn it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This is this fine. This is all fine. And thanks for listening. Being a hominid's a bitch, but it's the only family you've got. <laughs> Get it? Hominid? Family? That's a science joke, children. <laughs> <laughs>
The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.